We are recording, but I don't know what happened at the beginning. Okay. Well, that's good. We're just at the beginning. It's fine. Um, okay. So, so the place of Mitzrayim is um, anything that holds us back. Now, in Egypt, there was a very big, very obvious thing holding us back. It was Egypt, it was Pharaoh, it was the Egyptians, it was slavery. We had like a whole slew of things holding us back in Egypt. But the, pre- the premise of Egypt is the same whether we're talking about big Egypt and the Egyptians and slavery and all that thing, or we're talking about, and Rick is going to go off on a little rant, my phone addiction. Oh, no. I'm, I'm not going on, I'm not going, huh? <laughs> <laughs> we are so proud of you. A year, a year, okay, yes. Um, thank you for Remember thank you for nobody commented. Yeah. Anyway, but we're yeah. That's not we're up to that now. So um, whatever it is that is personally holding me back here now, that's my Egypt. And so part of what we're going to look at, hopefully, as we go through the chumash, is how do we get out of that? How do we get out of that space of the things that tell us you. You know, the mantras in our head that tell us we're not good enough, you could never, who do you think you are? Those are all Egypts of different, different things. It isn't only the obvious Egypts, and we have to really sort of take the big Egypt picture and transfer it back to us and say, and, and so what? Like, who cares and what does, this, what does this mean for us? Okay, so last week, just a brief recap, because we weren't here together, we opened up the new book and... What happened last week? In two lines, Shula. Moshe was born. He came to Paro. To Paro. He asked him to... Let the people go. Thank you. Let my people <laughs> go, yeah. And? And he refused. And he refused. And what else did he do besides refusing? Uh, he also throw stick and stick became a crocodile. Snake. Snake. Or it depends. It depends on the Maharshim, yeah. And what else? Um, he gave the Jews what is, new work. He gave the Jews new work. He gave the Jews that burning. We're going, we're doing the cliff notes. Yeah, we're okay. burning bush. That whole thing was last week. Absolutely, blah blah blah. But we're not getting to that because that was last week and that was a different conversation. One second. The last thing that, and I'm going to get back to your question in a second, Elisheva. Um, last week finishes off with um, Moses going back to God and complaining and saying. Huh? <laughs> so? Like he's, it's so he's he, go, he goes to Hashem and he's like, to paraphrase Moses, he's like, dude, why'd you send me? Like, you didn't, it didn't help. It didn't, not only didn't it help, it made the situation worse. So Moses, in, in biblical terminology, what he says to Hashem, what he says to Hashem is in, in chapter 5, verse 22, and he says, Lama Lama Why did you do such bad things to these people? Why did you even bother to send me? I mean, since I came to Pharaoh, the situation only got worse. It didn't get any better. What was the point of sending me? And this week's Parsha starts with Hashem's response to Moshe from that, that sort of his last week's outburst, for lack of a better word. Because that's really what it was. He goes to, he goes to Pharaoh, tries to make the situation work better. Okay, if it's not going to get better, at least kind of status quo situation, No. Boom, now you have the same quota that you have to make and you have to get your own raw materials. And the people are not so happy about it. The Jews are not so happy about Moses' interfering in their little uh, set place of slavery. Moses saying, why did you send me to Pharaoh? He says, why did you send me to Pharaoh? Why did you send me to Pharaoh? I go to Pharaoh 
And, you know, you know, like when things are sort of like in this level of murkiness and it's like mm-hmm. we're sort of okay in that space and then somebody shakes it up and then now we can't breathe because it's terrible. We realize where we are. Somebody, please, we have to lower the temperature. It's... Alicia, have you had a question? So it says here in like the, the cha- uh, chapter, chapter and verse. Give me chapter and verse. It says it on top. Oh, um, chapter. Oh, what is the chapter? Six, no. Yeah, chapter six. Ver, um, well, it's like. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Okay. Could be. Amram married Yehovah, and he bore him. Um, Aaron and Moshe. So Aaron is... One second. Um, not chapter six. It's probably seven. Chapter seven, I think. Chapter seven. No, I think, I think six. Six? Then six. maybe not ches. Six ches. Yeah. Chaf. Oh, ches. Not ches. Okay. I was in the wrong list. Okay. What number is Twenty. Twenty. Chapter twenty. Chapter six, verse twenty. Vayikach Amr he marries his, which was in Nadine's question. Amram marries Yocheved, his aunt. He marries her, and they have two children. They actually have three children. Aaron and Moshe, but I don't understand is, how did, how, like, how is Aaron in Egypt also? Like, Aaron was in Egypt the whole time. How was Aaron not killed? Yeah. Because of Pharaoh's information. Because Moshe was put in the basket. Okay, okay, that's a good question. Okay, I didn't understand. Your, your question's good. I want to say two things. First of all, Amram and, and Yocheved actually have three children. Yeah. Who is their oldest? Aram. No, Miriam. Miriam. Miriam is the oldest. Miriam is actually called Miriam from the root Mar of bitter because she was born in the worst part of the exile. Okay? When she was born, it was terrible. She's about five years older than Moshe. Okay? When Aaron was born, um, he's, he's, I think, two years, he's three years older than Moshe, which would make him about two years younger than Miriam. At that, after that, the, the whole conversation of Moshe's birth... See, I can't say Moses' birth because I don't even know how you pronounce that, right? Like, there's I think two. You many... say Moses and then that little. Usually... And then there's gonna put Moses, whatever. So we're gonna just stick with Moshe because it's just an easier one to say. So the thing with Moshe's birth is that we know from last week's parsha, and we're gonna touch on it briefly for a second, is that Paro came out with this decree that all the ch- all the boys who are gonna be born are gonna be thrown into the Nile. And Elishava, that's why Aaron was not affected. He was already born. He wasn't a newborn. He's three years older than Moshe. So that, there, was a, there was a decree that came out that all the boys who are going to be born are going to be thrown into the Nile. And we know that what happens then is Amram and Yocheved separate. They've already had two children. They're like, we are not bringing children into this world. This is a bad idea. And they separate. And Miriam comes back to them and says, you're worse than Pharaoh. Ooh. She says, you're worse than Pharaoh because Pharaoh is only killing the boys and you're killing the girls as well. And the... the, the, the the, the Talmud, or I think I don't remember it was exactly if it's in the Talmud or, the, or in the Medrash, that Miriam gave them a prophecy, and he said that the Redeemer of the Jewish people is going to be born through you, and then when they have to go put Moshe in the, you know, they have to do something with him because they're going to discover him, his her father. Well, so I would say first of all, an interesting fact that they listen to her and they don't say, oh, it's a five year old who wants another sibling. They understand that she's talking a prophecy to them. And they do get back together very publicly so that the Jewish people who had followed his leader, Amr was, they had followed his lead, Amr was the leader. When they separated, everybody separated. So like starting to get people back together and having a, a, a nation to, to continue to be born. So when it's time to put Moshe in some way to save him, which we know they put him in the basket in the, in the, in the Nile, her father says to her, you know, my daughter, what's going to be with your prophecy? And that's why she stood at the banks of the river, not because she was questioning if he was going to be saved. 
She knew he was going to be saved. The question was only, how is it going to happen? Where's Aaron in all this? According to one, one, one commentary, Aaron was also on the banks of the river. And I think, they, I think it's the Abarbanel who says that when Batya heard a child crying, it was Aaron crying. All right, this but, sense. But, but most, the, the Chomish talks about Miriam being there and watching her brother. And, and the Mepharshim talk about the idea that she wasn't questioning if he was going to be saved. She knew he was going to be saved. She just didn't know what the mechanism was going to look like. Amber, question. I have a question. It might be a last week question. And if it is, tell me. Okay. How long was the decree for the firstborns to be killed? Like, did it last, like, the whole time? Firstborns? is next week. Not the firstborns, I mean the, the boys. boys. So right. it's interesting. According to most opinions, the decree... Sorry about that. The decree for throwing the boys in the water, not most, according to some opinions, it happened for one day. It happened for one day. According to others, it was a longer period, but not years. It was definitely not a year's thing. And interesting factoid... The stargazers did not know if it was an Egyptian child or a Jewish child. And so the same day, all the boys, they were killing all the boys for that same day. Now, if you look at the psukim, it looks like it's a longer period of time. It doesn't look like it's only a one-day thing because we have this whole thing, the interaction with the midwives and Pharaoh. So it seems like it's a longer thing, but there's definitely at least more than one opinion that says it was only for one day. And that one day, they were killing the Egyptian boys and the Jewish boys. And we understand knowing Moshe's history, where that mix-up came from. Was he Jewish or was he Egyptian? He lived in both worlds. So that was why it ended up being murky. I guess stargazing is uh, an unspecific science. We got... They talk about like him being in like... Like, I don't know, like when he, like he, is he also like, was he also slave? Like, no. So and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer that question. I'm gonna stick with the, with then we're gonna stick with this week's parsha because it's relevant for this week's parsha. When the slavery starts, when the Jewish people, we know they're in, they're gonna be in Egypt for 210 years, um, and that the psukim this week we talk about the ages that get listed, and Rashi says the reason we're listing Amram's age and Kahas's age and Moshe's age is to prove that they were not in Egypt for 400 years because these three people had together don't even get to 400 years, and a lot of the years are overlapping. That was what Rashi says. But when the slavery originally started, um, it actually started as a let's build Egypt campaign. You know, Rashi brings it, and the, the, and the Farshan talk about it, that, that how do you take, how do you randomly enslave a nation of people? Like, how does that work? And so, and so the Farshan say that what happened was they said, come, let's beautify Egypt. Let's get involved in this construction and do things and clean up the parks and clean up the blah, 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 right? So everybody came out to do it, and the Egyptians all got the signal whenever it was time for them to pull out of the the construction or whatever project they were doing and who was left, the Jews who were being good citizens and being part of the situation. The tribe of Levi never joined. When there was like, let's build Egypt, they're like, it's okay, we're learning Torah. So because they never went into it in the first place, they never, <coughs> they never were part of the slavery. And it's very important when we talk about how do we do, because Elisha, you were talking about how Mitzrayim is, is, is all the gullus, it's all exile. There are many ways that we get to do exile, and the tribe of Levi proves to us that some of it is up to our decision. How do we, the fact that we are in exile is beyond our control. There's nothing we can do about it right now. We are doing our mitzvahs, and we're davening for Mashiach, whatever it is that we're doing. I'm not knocking it, like don't, I'm not belittling it. But the question of what is our level of enslavement, that's our choice. Are we gonna do it like the tribe of Levi, they live there, they're subject to the rules, they whatever, but they were not 
physically subjugated by the Egyptians. And that's why Moshe and Aaron are able to walk around. Why, why are you not a slave doing your work? Because they were never slaves doing their work. Their servitude was Torah. They chose to do their exile servitude as learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. And the other people were actually physically enslaved. And I, and I think it's important for us to understand when we talk about our Egypt and the things that hold us back and hold us down, we get to choose how we relate to it. Now, sometimes it's a question of therapy and medication. I'm not, I'm not saying that isn't part of the, the equation. But sometimes it's our decision about how we're going to relate to something and how much we're going to let it affect us. We can't control the events, but we can control how they affect us. And if we decide that we're not going to be smashed down and, and, and this by the events of the, of, that are out of our control, then there's less of a chance that we will, in fact, be squished down and conscript, cons, cons, constricted. That one, constricted. Thank you. Um, I'm like, all these words are running my head. Um, then we're not going to be constricted by the events because we're choosing not to let us affect us. And there's a, we know, in the, in, and like a lot of the modern science is talking the same thing, you know, within, in, with mental health. And all, there's a lot of our, there's a lot, a part of it that's in our control. I'm not talking about the part that we need medication for. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but there is definitely a part of it that's our choice. How do we look at ourselves and how do we look at the events and how do we look at the situation? And my, my, this is my sort of mushing of things. We could choose to do this exile like the tribe of Levi and not let Egypt knock us down and, slaver, and, and enslave us any more than we have to, you know, the circumstances that, that don't allow us to do our free movement or whatever it is that you know, we have. Um, Stella, you had a question? Um, yeah, so basically the, when they were enslaved, it wasn't like a forced, like they weren't forced into slavery. Was, not in the beginning. Not in the beginning. And then later on. But then once, you, once, once the slavery started, whoever was there was stuck. That's what happens. Whoever ends so, up being there is, is stuck. So the tribal lady who never went into it, they were never enslaved. They didn't say, oh, by the way, you guys come out of the base measures and come, you know, come be our slaves now. Like. How would was that work? It, was it also on like a level of like assimilation to Egyptian culture, or was it literally just labor? It's a good question. It's a good question. It's it's a last week question, but then yeah. the conversation of of and the Rebbe talks about the idea where you it's where Para decrees that you should kill the boys and let the girls live. That there was actually a proactive let the girls live because that would mean having them assimilate into into German into Egyptian <laughs> culture and and that whole that whole thing. So whether that was a gl- a more global over the whole uh, the whole slavery situation, it seems from most of the commentaries that the 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 um, the focus was on actual physical, physical slavery and, and personal annihilation. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, we, it's familiar stories. When we talk about have we heard this story before, we have heard this story before very recently. They, the, the stories repeat themselves and it, it's not just stories, it's paradigms that are repeating themselves and, you know, what do we do with it? Oh, let's go into our Parsha. Finally, okay. So we start off, and it starts with Vayedaber Elokim Moshe, Vayomer Elav Ani Hashem. Okay, Hashem Elokim says to Moshe, and he says to him, "I am Havaya. I am the, the name of Hashem. That's a Yud and a Hey and above and a Hey." And the first question that we're going to ask before we get even further is, why do we have two different names of God in the same sentence? Okay, we have Elokim. We have the name of God, which we know. What's the name of Elokim represent? Justice. Justice. 
and also Teva, that place of, you know, you know uh, the normal working of the world, but very much justice. And then the name of Yud and Hei and Hey, Avaya, is, is, is above nature. It's a little bit beyond, it's like not time and space limited. And it's definitely, um, I don't know if it's a gentler name or a kinder, I don't know, whatever. If Elohim is justice, this is the other one. Okay, I know exactly which one it is, huh? If you tweet a word, describe like this one word for for Havaya, what's yes. it? I don't know if it's accurate to say mercy. I don't know, so I'll get back to you. You don't have a complete name. You're not. It's, it's it's the opposite. It's not. It's not the justice name. It's a it's a, gen, a more gentler name. And so the Rebbe Elimelech of Lezhensk in his sefer, the Daim Elimelech, he says that first Hashem responds to Moshe with a place of judgment. Mm-hmm. This is definitely not the word or attitude that he used, but it's kind of like, you're talking to me, how? Like, what is, like, hello? After everything we just... Not even after everything. I'm God, you know? <laughs> and you're saying, how could you do this to the Jewish people? Like, hello? We don't blame him. Right, we don't blame him. And that's where that first place of judgment comes in. And then God, so to speak, says to himself, wait a second. He's not saying this to be judgmental and argumentative. He's fighting on behalf of my children. And so that's why the name changes into Hashem. And I think that for us to remember, it's almost our duty to cry out when we see injustice. It's not okay to just say, well, God did it, so therefore he wants it to happen. No, Moshe's teaching us, when you see something that isn't right, it should hurt you. It should, you should, it should bother you enough that you complain to God about it. You know, like, it's not okay. The things that are happening that are not okay, it's not just say, well, you know, he's God. He must know what's going on. Who am I, puny little me, to, to speak up? No, yeah, speak up. And, and at the end of the day, and we know this, you know, anybody who has a sibling knows, like, when you are nice to your siblings, your parents are happier than when you are not nice to your siblings. And when we stick up for our, our siblings, which is the Jewish people in all of the world, you know, we see injustice and it's our job to speak up. God's like, okay, you didn't 100% speak so nicely and maybe we're going to work on that. But I hear your point and your point is well taken. And that's really where Hashem goes. And the first three aliyahs are very much a back and forth before, between Hashem and Moshe, explaining his position, trying to go into it. I, I don't really, shockingly enough, we're almost out of time, but we're not out of time yet, but I'm just saying. So they, there's a back and forth about what's going on and what's happening and why did I do this and da-da-da-da. The one thing I do want to point out, if you take a look, if you, if you have a Chumash and you're following along with me, um, so uh, Hashem, says to Mo, Hashem says to Moshe in, uh, where's the first one? Okay, in chapter 6, verse 6, Therefore, I said to the Bnei Yisrael, I will take them out of the burden of the servitude of Egypt, and I will save them from the service, from their slavery, and I will, say, and I will redeem them with an outstretched arm. Does anybody, does this sound slightly familiar to anybody? When we talk in Pesach Seder, and we talk about four cups, mm. four cups of wine, which, which parallel four languages of Geula, this is the four languages that we're talking about. And Okay, so we have it right here, chapter 6, verse 6 and verse 7, that Hashem is talking about not only, it's not only metaphor and poetry and using lots of different words, but there are different stages in redemption and what's going on, and the place of Hashem taking us out of the Sivlot Mitzrayim, 
it's uh it's like from the servitude and it's interesting um one of the like the, I, I don't remember who said it, but like one of the more contemporary Hasidic rabbis said something about you know in Israel how many times have you gotten gotten savlanut givet savlanut right have some patience and that is something that we have to break that place of savlanut, that it's okay. And the word sivlot mitzrayim is, is sharing the same root of that. We shouldn't be okay to just chill and relax. Like there should be a fire and there should be an energy. So we have the place of otzeti and v'itzalti, v'gaalti, v'lakachti, all of those words of, of Hashem taking us out and saving us and redeeming us and taking us um, to be my nation. All of those are different stages in, a, in redemption. And it's also stages in our personal redemption. Like, it's not just a question of have I aced this totally, but have I left something that isn't good for me? And I'm working and I'm moving into a space of transferring it to something that sort of space and time and energy and all those words into something better. But the first place of like I'm getting out of that place is, a, is an important spa- a step. And even though you want to say, and we have often said that and we've talked about this a different time, like if you just leave a bad situation, that isn't total redemption. And we know that ultimately that isn't total redemption because it's not just enough to not be there, but the question is, okay, and now where am I and what am I doing with my time? But the first place to say, wait a second, we're not there. That's a big step. And we have to sort of acknowledge that that is a step in redemption, in our personal redemption, that we are not in the bad place. We might not be in the Hashem taking us, you know, into, a, into us as a nation or, and conversely, there are some places where we already sort of come into this loving embrace with Hashem and we're totally like there. And we, you'll be for me for a nation. There are some places in our life, not, maybe not all of them, but when like this particular mitzvah, it's like, yeah, we're there. Like we totally get God's point in that and we're totally into that. And then there's other things that we're still struggling with. That's beseder. That's, it doesn't mean we're in a terrible state. It means we're in a geula movement state. And it's okay that in some places we're more geula dick than in other places. And as long as we're sort of moving in that direction. So I do want to point out those, that language that's over here. Because, um, because um, yeah, it's Pesach. These are Pesach words. And the four, all the fours that we have over Pesach, the four cups of wine and the four sons, and da, 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 is all going to come back to these languages of geula. The last one in verse 8, that I will bring you into the land that I've you know, given my, ha- my hand up to give you this land, which is the land of then was called Eretz Canaan and become Eretz Yisrael, um, is uh, represented at the Seder table with our fifth cup, which is a, the coast of Eliyahu. Elijah's cup is the fifth cup, which we don't actually drink. And there was, um, there was I forgot his name, but there was somebody who wrote a safer he was in Germany, like around the war, and he wrote a introduction to. I think a, 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 I think he wrote a commentary on Chumash in that time, and it very much reflected what was going on. And he made it through the war, and he came to Eretz Yisrael, and he wrote a uh, he wrote a, a commentary on Haggadah, and in that introduction, he postulates that we should now be drinking the fifth cup because we have come into the land. He tried to get people to agree with him. If you've been at the Pesach Seder lately and you see we don't drink the fifth cup of wine, you know that that hasn't quite come on board yet. But um, but that's like the the looking towards a future redemption, um, and that's what's go you know going on. And I want to okay. So that's it. Now Moshe responds in verse nine, which I do want to 
we were. Moshe's like, um, B'nai Yisrael, you know, he's like, he, you know, Moshe speaks to, he's going to speak to Moshe, and V'lo shamu el Moshe mikotza roch kasha. The people could not listen to Moshe because they were short of breath and they had such hard work. And if that sounds a little bit familiar to any of us, it's, it's true. There are sometimes we can't even envision something different because we're so stuck in our mode of survival right now. We can't even imagine that it could be different, that it could be better, that we could, that it doesn't have to be like that. Um, and, when, and then when, ha- when Hashem tells Moshe, go speak to Paro, Moshe's like, hello, the Jewish people don't want to listen to me and they're invested in this. Like, why would Paro want to listen to me? Anyway, that's a, a whole bunch of what's going on over here at the beginning. And Moshe talks about him being Aral Sfatayim, which he mentions again. If you remember the whole episode at the burning bush, Moshe says, I can't speak. I have a speech impediment. I, I just, I can't do this. Send somebody else. I can't do this. This is, I'm, clearly I'm the wrong person for the job. And, um, and it's interesting. A lot of the commentaries talk about the idea, like, why does Moshe Rabbeinu, like that is his title, no matter where you are, we call him Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher. Why does he have a speech impediment? Like, shouldn't he be like, perfect in every single, in every single, you know, way, like what's the, and, and a lot of the commentaries talk about the idea that it was important that Torah not be given only through charisma because he had a speech impediment. It was never that people were going to say, I have no idea what he said, but it was so lovely. We just went on board with it. No, no, no. The MS was flowing through that it, it went past the speech impediment. And that's really um, where, you know, Moshe's complaining about his speech impediment. And yet um, the, 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 the sages are talking about that being a sort of a plus in the column that how do you know how true Torah is? Because Moshe didn't sweet talk anybody into this. He couldn't. It wasn't his, that wasn't anything he was able to do. Zoe, question. I have a question. Yes. Just that's basically the point that sometimes you can't imagine things being even different or better better because you're in survival mode. Do you think survival mode is the same thing as being in the time? For sure. I think for sure. Even if it's it's not productive, but it's active. <sighs> the way you said survival mode does not sound to me growth. Mm-hmm. Survival mode is when we're treading water and hoping we don't drown in whatever area it is. Whether it's a job, whether it's relationships, whether, whether it's keeping the, the, the balaganta manageable, whatever. When you say survival mode, that never had, or to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, it does not say, I am acing this. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't, right? Survive. Now, do we blame somebody for being in survival mode? God forbid. Not at all. There, everybody will hit, shocking news, ladies. Everybody will hit a time in their life more than once where all you can do is survival mode. And if you're surviving, points to you because that's what you can do right now. But the question that we have to ask ourselves honestly is are we staying in survival mode because it's familiar? Not because it's easy, but because the change is so frightening and so unknown and I don't know that this is working really well for me, but I know how to do it. And, and when we can honestly ask ourselves a question and listen to what our answer is, then we know if we're ready to move beyond survival mode. Because there are going to be times, and maybe it's just me, and if it is, then whatever, hear it from the old lady. Um, there are times you can't even ask yourselves the question. 
There is some times where we're in such survival mode. Don't talk to me. I, I can't even, I can't even get into these conversations of can it be done? Sha, let me just keep moving. And it's okay as long as we're still surviving. And as long as we know that we have to take a time and say, wait a second, can I move out of this? And, and, until, and until we're in a space, I think, that we can actually even ask ourselves a question, we're for sure not in a place that we're able to, to hear, can it be done differently? And I think that like, it's such a, we're living in a time that is only getting busier and busier and busier. It's not getting easier. It's not getting, you know, we're getting inundated with more information and more things and more challenges and things that we should be doing. And how do we like not take all of that? How do we not buy everybody's, you know, stuff and say, oh, you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this. Like, how do we say, wait a second, what do I really have to do? What is really enhancing my relationship with God, my relationship with the people around me, my relationship with myself? When I can I have to be honest and say some of the things that people are like, this is going to free up your time and this is going to make you feel so much better and this is going to be awesome. It's really just another code for Egypt. And we have to really be able to listen to that and hear what's going on. Okay. And then we have this. Oh my gosh. Okay. Then we have the genealogy of the first three tribes, Reuben, Shimon, and Levi get counted over here. Not counted. They don't get counted. Their genealogy is written over here. Um, who there are, and Rashi says we only do it because we want to get to Moshe and Aaron. They're the stars of the next couple of weeks. Um, and the other thing, and the Rashi also brings another, another uh, reason here because he says that since when Yaakov blesses the children, these three kids sort of got kicked in the teeth. So here they're again sort of highlighted and shown to, to celebrate them um, again to sort of make up for that. Okay. And then uh, we ever going to... Didn't he... Okay. So in Ravii, we're going to start having the, the interactions with Paro where he goes and, as I think Elisheva said, he threw down the stick um, and it becomes, a, it becomes a serpent and, um, and then Pharaoh calls his people and they do the same thing, which doesn't seem terribly bright. Like the Egyptians are able, the the the, uh, the Egyptian sorcerers are able to replicate a lot of the, a lot of the plagues. So what? Aaron throws the stick. Aaron puts down the stick. I thought it was Moshe. Oh, it's Aaron. Aaron. Oh. Chapter in verse ten, chapter seven, verse ten. So they both go, and Moshe does this, um, and they do the same thing, and da 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 da. Okay, and then the next what? Okay, like did anybody, uh, right, so, here, so here's, here's a, an expression that will totally date me. Have you ever heard the expression bringing coals to Newcastle? Yeah. Or, <laughs> or, snow, to, or snow to the Eskimos? No. Okay. No. Bringing Egypt, bringing magic to Egypt is redundant. Egypt was the center of magic. Now we today think of magic as slay of hand. There, was a re- there are real, real forces of black magic. And Egypt was the center of magic. So they're coming and they're like, dude, I can do this. Big deal. It's not, it's anybody can with, you know, with a little bit of practical magical background could do this. So it's not just anybody, but Egypt is specifically known for magic. So they're like, really? We're not impressed. We can do the same thing. Except that what happens is that Aaron stick, his snake, go, well, according to some opinions with crocodiles, not snakes, right? But his, he takes it from the tail he picks it up from the tail. He picks it up. It becomes a stick again. And then when it's a stick, it swallows up the other sticks. 
When it's a stick. When it's a stick, oh, it swallows. It's, it's not a snake swallowing the other snakes. It's a stick swallowing the other sticks. This is yeah right. Um, so that's the first thing that's going to happen, um, and then we're going to start getting into the whole situation of of the plagues. Now, Wait, sorry. yeah. <laughs> so why would it, why would Hashem start with like something that clearly would like nuclearly wouldn't work the first time? Like he even said right to Moshe, like this is not going to work. Right, it's not going to work. Listen, there's a, there's a, there's a couple of things that Hashem tells Moshe to do that Hashem also says, and they're not going to work, right? What does Hashem tell Moshe to tell Pharaoh? What is he asking for? Let the people go. Let the people go? For three days. For three days. He doesn't like, we're going to all leave. Hello, we're God, we're out of here. He's like, let us go for three days. And he doesn't say we'll be back. And, but the implication sort of is like, we're just going for three days. And then and, and Hashem's like, and it's still not going to work. And it's still not going to work, right? I was telling somebody before class started, I was like, what if Parah would have said yes? Go for three days. Like, everybody would have been stuck, right? Like, oh my gosh, now what do we do, right? Um, which, we, which we are going to talk about. Hopefully if we're going to get a chance to, to talk about that. But um, the, 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 the question, the bigger question, and because this week's Torah portion, the, we, we've gotten halfway through the Parsha. We haven't even started the plagues. But we're going to have seven of the ten plagues in this Parsha. Okay, and we're gonna have three in the next in next week's parsha. Now, if you've learned a little bit of Hasidus and you hear a division of seven and three, what is that? Do, 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 do. <laughs> seven and three. I've heard about Luchos Avri that we had three and seven. About what? Luchos No, those are five and five. Five and five. If we hear seven and three. Oh, the <laughs> Okay. We have seven intellect. We have, sorry, we have three intellectual facility faculties. We have seven emotional. And when we're talking about the plagues, we are definitely talking about that is our breakup right here in the Chumash. We have seven and we have three. So there's going to be there, the question of the makas and in general, the whole question of the plagues. Is God just the biggest bully on the block? I'm going to I'm going to like beat you up till you have to give in. Like, clearly, we're not buying that. Thank you, God, for shaking your head. No, no, we're not buying that. It's not that I should. I'm, and also, let's also say, could God have just gotten them out of Egypt another way? Like, what's the deal with the plagues, right? So if the point of the plagues is to say, is to just get them out, like, I mean, he's God. He could, do, he could do anything. He could just have them all wave them out. He could have the Egyptians fall asleep and the Jews walk. Like, there's so many things. So many creative ways God could have just gotten them out of Egypt. So clearly, it's not just a matter of getting the, the Jews from point A to point B. Okay? Questions. Yes? What is, like, the connection, though, between, like, the seven plagues to, like, the seven emotional faculties? We're not going to get into it this week because we have very little time. Okay? okay? Um, Do you know where I can... I will send you information, Okay. Um, I, I, I generally don't like giving information that's very easily accessible, so I'll post on the chat afterwards. It's just one of my, my uh, idiosyncrasies. Um, um, oh, shoot, now I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? So getting Jews from point A to point oh, B. Oh, right, thank you. So it's not just the plagues are, are not just about getting Jews from, from point A to point B, because that have a lot of ways of doing it. And it's not just because God's a bully and he has to beat them up till they say no. So as, as we know in general in Judaism, anytime there is punishment, it is always educational. It is never just na 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 na. It's always going to be educational. And so the question that we have to ask is what, who, A, who has to learn and B, what do they have to learn? 
because those are, those are going to be two questions that are going to help us unlock the situation with the plagues. Because does everybody have to learn the same lesson? And if not, what's going on over here? Okay, yeah, now. So, um. Like for them, were they having a hard time also like understanding? First of all, yes. So first of all, part of the, differently, but yes, the Jewish people also have to learn. Um, but before, so, so that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit. But I would like somebody to please help me over here to, I want some interesting things about the, about the plagues, okay? First of all, first of all, um, the plagues were, if, if anybody remembers from the Pesach Seder, how they're grouped, how Rabbi Yehuda gave them signs, there's like signs for the plagues. The plagues are grouped in groups of three and, and the plague of the firstborn is, is, stands on its own. Um, we're going to, I want to, first of all, let's talk about plagues. I want to say, and we're going to get this, one second. No, I'm, going to stick, I'm going to do this in order. So first of all, we have to talk about plagues. Second of all, the first, in the set of three plagues, the first plague got a warning. The second plague got a warning. The third plague did not get a warning. Okay? Each plague took place over the course of a month. So for three weeks, when there was, let's say, the, blood, the, the plague of, of blood, that's our first one, so we'll stick with that, every day for three weeks. Moshe would come to Pharaoh and he would say to Pharaoh, let the people go or we're going to turn all the rivers to blood for three weeks. And then on, when that didn't happen, because we know that didn't happen, so I'm not, it's not a spoiler really, then they had a week of a plague. The plague. Every single plague lasted for a week except for the plague of darkness, which only lasted for six days and they, God kept the seventh day for when they crossed the Red Sea. Okay? And the plague of the firstborn was just one night. Um, uh, so you have... Imagine, like if you were a movie director, right? You have warning, 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 plague. Warning, 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 plague. Silence. 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 Plague! <laughs> uh, there, yes. A month. That's for a month. Okay, then we start the cycle again. Warning, 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 plague. Warning, 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 plague. Creepy music. <laughs> Building up, right? So that's what's going on. So that's... So pretty much from the beginning of the plagues, uh, from, the, from the first plague, most of the commentaries agree that the Jews were not working any longer, okay? Which helps us understand why when it comes time to leave Egypt, this is you know, a, you know, foreshadowing for, for the future, and we talk about the idea that not all the Jews wanted to leave Egypt, and you're like, short-term memory issues? Like, the last year was sweet. Yeah, we weren't working. We were watching the Egyptians getting, you know, getting beat up. But, like, did you forget what happened, like, the 209 years before that? So it is very important to remember that that place, that year of the plagues was, was respite for the Jews. It was, it was nice. It was good for them. Like, like it, it maybe wasn't all good for them. There's a conversation. Which plagues, did any of the plagues affect the Jews or not affect the Jews? There's, the jury's out on that. Um, uh, but mostly they say it does. It didn't, but they sort of like the effects are going on all over the place. Like so, for example, we know like when we have the the blood, the plague of blood, and all the water turns to blood. Um, the result of all the water turning to blood is that all the fish die. So then you end up with gobs of rotten fish that have to 
be dealt with. So like it's it's everybody's issue. It's not just oh we don't smell it because 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 we didn't get affected by the plague. Like so that's you know something to to remember. Even if they weren't affected by the plague, when the when the plague wipe out all the food, their their food supply also gets uh, endangered a little bit. Yeah. If the plagues, like for example, the plague of blood affected all the water sources and such, how did the Jews like? Not- Okay, so the Medrash tells us, Rashi brings it from the Medrash, that the Jews had water. The Jews had water, and if anybody wanted to buy water from a Jew, they could get water, but if you tried to steal it from them, you couldn't. It would turn back to blood. And if anybody wants to know the, the activity that all the little kids came back from school, like their art, their art activity about the Parsha is always a cup with two straws, and what is white and what is red, because two, you, know, you have this Egyptian kid drinking on one side and a Jewish kid drinking on the other side. That's always the art supply, the art, uh, the arts and crafts project that they bring home this week, in case you were wondering. Um, so that's, that's based on the Medrash. So that they did, there was access to water, it just wasn't plentiful and it wasn't easy. And I want to point out that water isn't only in the Nile. Water is in other places as well, and all of the water gets turned, gets turned to blood. Okay, let's do some plagues, Okay. Done. Okay, I want, now I need you to look inside because I, I'm looking for three specific bits of information even though I did give you a thing. I want to know the name of the plague. I want to know the name of the plague. Okay? I want to know, was there a warning or not? And I want to know who did the plague. Okay? Moshe does some plagues. Aaron does some plagues. They do some together. So, starting from Dam, which is going to be... Aaron did it. Uh... I'm just trying to think. Okay? Aaron does blood. Where are you? Give me a chapter and verse because I can't find uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, here. Chapter 7, verse 19. Okay? Chapter 7. So, motion. So, Aaron is going to do the play. Was there a warning? Yes, there was warning for this. And Aaron does the... And Aaron does the... Didn't Aaron do it? Because Moshe's meant to be grateful towards the water because the water safety. Exactly. Aaron, there's a few plays that Aaron's going to end up doing because Moshe, in a place of gratitude, cannot... Uh, pay back good with bad. It's going to be the two plagues that affect that affect the water and one that affects the dirt, the the, the lice. Um, the only reason I know that lice is the third plague is because every so often we get notes from Gan. Third plague has, that was gross. The third plague has come back to. Okay, so Aaron does. So Aaron does. Uh, bloody does dumb. Then what do we have after that? Frogs. I don't know what that is. We have frogs. Okay, let's see. Where's it going to be? Um, 28. Exactly. Ish. Yeah, so what's the word? We have frogs. Who knows what's the word for frog? Hmm? Anybody know? It's Fardea. Okay, it's Fardea. No, I'm spelling it wrong. I told you I can't spell in Hebrew. Um, it's a fake. It's Fardea. Okay, is there a warning? Yeah. Yes, there's a warning. Who does it? Aaron. I think I spelled his name. Aaron? Yeah, Aaron does it. Where's it says Aaron hits. It, he, this is what the. So keep going. It doesn't hit. to Moses let them go. If they don't, like, help or plague your country. No, 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 no. It ate. It's, 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 it ate. The first, you're reading the, you're reading the warning. Oh, okay. You're reading the warning and it ate. Aaron does it. And we have the thing. Then what's going to happen after this? Lice. Then we're going to have lice. Yeah. Right? So gross. Everything we talk about everything. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's Kinim. Okay. Is there a warning? No. There's no warning. Who's going to do it? 
Aaron. Aaron's going to do it. Okay? Um, Kinim, at Lice, this is going to be the first place that the Egyptian sorcerers are unable to replicate the, are unable to replicate the, the magic. Okay? Huh? Oh, never mind. Yeah, no, it's just, it's, oh, dumb. Yeah. Sorry. I don't have good write, handwriting on the board, handwriting, but I like to do it. Um, so that means that up until this point, not only is whatever water supply or frogs are coming from Moses, is, again, from God, from Aaron, you also have the addition that's coming from the, the magicians, which is, doesn't seem super clever, if I was going to say. But at least, because it's something that's so small, um, it's, it's something that they're not able to actually have an effect on, so they can't do it at that point. Gila said to us that the last effect of the Egyptians like so much because of their religious practices. They were very like big on cleanliness, and like the priests weren't able to like, like do their stuff if they had lies, because they got shaved all the time. So because they were constantly plagued by the lies, they couldn't practice. But it's only for a week then. Their faith, so it like really affected them apparently. Oh, I mean, I, listen, any of this, Rashi says that all the plagues are how you would have, they're like war tactics. Like if you're going to f- come fight somebody, you know, first you're going to cut off their, their water supply, you're going to make a lot of noise. And Rashi, he doesn't bring more examples than that, but he says like all of the 10 plagues are total war practices. Like what would you do if you were going to besiege another, another country? Um, okay. Um, and every single time, like, okay, let them go, let them go. And then he never has. Okay, that, then it doesn't happen. Um, we have the kidding. Parenthetically, when you talk about um, the measures, you know, the, the plagues sound terrible enough to me, honestly. When you read them in the, in the Pesukim, they sound terrible. But when you read it in the Medrash and it gets so much worse, it's, it's, really, it's really quite devastating. And one of the things the Medrash points out is that a lot of the houses were constructed with sand on the inside. So when the insides of your house are no longer stable, neither is your house. So it, it, it just all sounds terrible. Okay? What's the next one? Bugs. Huh? Uh, no, the beasts. Um, right? Okay, we have Aro, which is going to be wild beasts. Who does it? Is there a warning? Yes. Yes, who does it? Moshe. Somebody look in the post. Don't make it up. It's a, it's a guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like a 50-50, exactly, a 50-50 over here. Okay, Moshe's going to do it. Okay. Um, we're at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's all we have in this week's Parsha. What comes after Aro? Epidemic. An epidemic. What does it mean by epidemic? It's called Dever in Hebrew, and the animals got sick. And they died. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because... Was an epidemic and pandemic? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So Dever was when they were told that any animals that are left outside will get sick. That was their warning? That was part of their warning. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, and anybody who said, I'm going to risk it, they, that's what happened to the people who were outside. They got, the animals that were outside so got sick. So that also affect the beasts that were plagued? So the beasts, oh, so it's interesting. So it's interesting. As part of the plagues, blood and frogs leaving us with dead fish and dead frogs when the plague is over, they don't poof away. So part of the plague is that they stay away. 
The wild beasts, actually, because a lot of them are exotic animals, the measure says that they were like animals that came with their natural habitat because Egypt is not super hospitable to lots of different ter- terrains. So the animals came with their habitat, but they all poofed away because they're, they're valuable in and of themselves. So for the, all the animals to just die in Egypt would have been a benefit for the Egyptians at the end of the day, all these exotic skins and stuff like that. So the, uh, the wild beasts do disappear. That's a better word than puss away. Um, uh, okay. And then... Uh, who does it? Moshe. Moshe. What? The Deva, I think... Uh, Deva, they, yeah, Deva, I think, is Moshe. One second. I, I lost my place here a second. The wild beast Moshe did also? No, we're... Aro, one second. No, no, one second. Uh, Um, no, um, Hashem does. Hashem does Arrow. Sorry, Hashem does. Hashem does Arrow. Sorry, if I told you inside. Okay, this is Hashem. Meaning, sorry, Hashem I know, but who's the active one who's doing it? Arrow, and then um, he's a Zurib. Um. Take the other one second. I've lost my. It's interesting if you see how much text is given to these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Mm. Okay, so Deborah Hashem does, also Hashem does. We're up to chapter, if anybody wants to follow, chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. Um, okay. Now, the next one that we're going to have is going to be, what's the next, the next play? Boil. Boil. It's Shein. Okay, and it does not have a warning. And this is Moshe and Aaron are doing it together. Moshe and Aaron are doing this together. And if you take a look in verse, chapter, yeah, chapter 9, verse 8. So Hashem says to them, each of you take um, handfuls of soot. Each of you take it. Now put it all in one hand of Moshe's. Just imagine it. And Moshe's going to throw it up and it's going to fall on all of Egypt. So clearly Hashem is doing this. They're just doing a little bit of a, you know, they're, they're like doing... Almost like a show. Almost like a show. Correct. Exactly. I'm wrong, somewhat, I don't remember if I'm remembering correctly. It was something like Pharaoh offered Moshe like... Was it like... I need more words. That was, that was, that was wait, last week's part. We'll, okay. We can do that, right? Okay, so, um, so then they have boils, okay? And now at this point, after Dever, we start hearing, Vayachazek Hashem Eslei Paro. Hashem is hardening Paro's heart. Where after plague number five, maybe he was uh, ready to, to give in. Hashem's like, eh, this education is not over yet. And um, and we have to we have to uh, we have to we have to um, continue with we have to continue. One I'm just trying to find here. Um, there was I just can't find it here. At one point, um, Hash, uh, power is like, okay, go go go, but only the men are going to go. Like children and women, then they don't serve Hashem. Um, it's, it's about here. 
can't find it here. I'm sorry. Um, uh, so they ask, so power says, who's going? And, um, sorry, I just, I, I, I heard this from the Rebbe so many times. I was just trying to find it inside. Um, I can't find it here. And, uh, oh. Moshe answers, I heard it from the Rebbe so many times, but he talked about when the, when the Geula is, and I just, I can't find it, I'm sorry. Um, so whoever finds it, when, like, when we talk about redemption, we talk about the ultimate redemption, it's not who, who are meant to serve God, it doesn't work like that. Everybody, the men, the women, the children, the animals, we're going to need everybody to go. Um, the last plague that we have here is going to be Barad, which Barad, which is hail, and the hail that we have in Egypt was uh, it was actually the Chumash describes that it was ice balls with fire inside. So, talking about different forces making peace to serve Hashem, uh, fire and water don't usually get along. But imagine like. Crash and burn. That's like maybe where the this expression comes from originally there to crash and burn. There was a warning. There was a warning. Um, and um, okay, so we're 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 gonna have to we're gonna pick up the, the conversation of, of plagues next week and what was the lesson and what's gonna happen and who's gonna happen. I want to just talk about two of the things that the Rebbe talks about. If everything is supposed to be a lesson, so some of the lessons are for the Egyptians and for the Jewish people, and some of the lessons are going to be more, more focused on the Egyptians, which is an interesting thing that if you look in the Psukim, and anybody's been following along in the Chumash, not here, but because we've been skimming, but if you look inside, we hear often again and again, the Egyptians should know. There should be this place of knowledge. It's not just whatever, but they should know, and they should know that there's a God, there's, they should know that there's personal intervention, they should know that God has a say in your life. But I want to just take a look for two things. I want to look at the blood for a second, and I want to look at the frogs. What are the properties of water? Oxygen. Okay, oxygen, hydrogen. What do we do? What's water? It's flowing, it's Oh, Life, yeah, yeah, those crap, yeah, yeah, those crap, crap. Huh? We mm-hmm. never know if it's wet or not. We never know if it's wet. It's, it's, it's like used to cleanse things. It's cleansing. It's it's what we talk. It's it's. It needs to be contained. Or or not, yeah, but it's it could flow. It can contain. It's shapes to its thing. It's life giving. But what is when we talk about um, one of the things we talk about the river? It's always cold. Water is cold. We're not talking about the warm weather, tropical water, but talk about the, the, one of the properties is, is cold. And, in, and in, in Hasidus, it talks about the idea that this water is like the intellect. It's like the person who just has a cold intellectual relationship with the world. And this is how it works. And this is what it does. And Hashem says, what's the first thing that you need to do with your cold intellect? Because we know one of the things about water is that it also changes it changes forms as it changes temperature, right? And the colder the water gets, it will actually freeze. You know, the Balshenta students, there's a famous story. They once were traveling to Balshenta and they saw a peasant cro- uh, carving a cross out of the ice. Ew. 
And they're like, if we're supposed to learn a lesson from everything we see in Avodah Hashem, what are we supposed to learn? And the Baal Shem Tov answered them that is a dinner deck, that there's a very thin string or thin line between being cold and apathetic and totally not believing in Hashem. That's my translation of Yiddish, which is probably not super accurate. But the place of the water getting to a place of cold, cold, cold and being academic, you know, and, and you, you t- now what's blood? It's warm. It's warm. It's hot blood, right? Hot blooded, fiery. That's how we discuss. So the first thing that we're saying that Hashem is telling the Egyptians and the Jewish people, your relationship with Hashem should not just be cold, intellectual, calm, you know, possibly even frozen. It should be passionate. There should be fire. There should be energy in that. Not, you know, we know you can't drink the blood, like, but, but we're in your relationship. What happens when you take, we know so many people and we know about ourselves that there are just some places we're just like, it makes sense and it's logical and, you know, <coughs> one more? <coughs> um, uh, you know, it just, it makes sense. And even in my relationship with Hashem, these things make sense and this is what I do and this is what I don't do. And I don't get too per- super excited, you know, like, you know, when you come into the room and you're like, it's Shabbos! And everybody's like, uh, chill, right? That's <laughs> like, literally, that's literally chill, right? Like, no, we want, we want it to be exciting. We want our mitzvahs to be passionate. We want it to, to have fire. And that's the first thing that Hashem is, is the first lesson that's going to the Jews and to the Egyptians, but even to the Jews. It's not enough to just do it. You have to do it with passion. You have to do it with simcha. You have to do it with energy, with enthusiasm. That's one thing. Now, the, the frogs are a very interesting situation over here. The Pusik tells us that the frogs went every place in Egypt, even in the ovens. Now, what do you know about frogs? First of all, they run away from heat. They run away from heat. They're cold-blooded. They're cold. They're cold-blooded uh, uh, mammals, right? Where do they originate? Where? From the water. Okay, they're originating from the water. But that place of sort of being able to be removed from the water and yet still have that coldness is would. So, so it would kind of like, that would kind of, um, uh, not differentiate, but that would kind of like, describe. I'm sorry. Right? Uh, I wish. Uh, so that's kind of a description for the frogs. But then, what happens to these frogs when Hashem says to do something? To go every place. They go into the place that is the most inhospitable to their it is so not their comfort zone. The ovens are so not their comfort zone. And Hashem's like, go every place. And they literally go every place. And there's times in our life where we have to say, this is my comfort zone, but what I'm being asked to do right now is to step out of it. To maybe go a little bit on the serious nefesh. We know the frogs did not survive their encounter with the oven. Shocking, but true. <laughs> um, but there are times, and there, you know, my my father's family comes from Russia, and we grew up with all these stories of like crazy Mesir Snefish that the people had to do to, you know, to keep kosher and to to stay to do any mitzvahs. It was like you know crazy, but I think like the place of Mesir Snefish of saying I am willing to give myself over to Hashem is true even in our more comfortable situations. Like, where is the place where I say my comfort zone would? would be to never say, excuse me, are you Jewish? Do you eat Shabbos candles for Shabbos? 
as a random example. I don't know. Do we even ask people in the shuk if they're Jewish? We just assume no, they are. Unless they, if they're really, really, really confused, I'm like, are you Jewish? And they'll be like, no. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Have a good day. Have a good day. <laughs> right? But I'd say that place of going out of your comfort zone is not, I know it's stupid to say, it's not comfortable for us. That's why it's called our comfort zone. But there, but sometimes where we are demands that we go out of our comfort zone. My comfort zone would mean like, it's okay, I'm not super whatever, but it's, it's good. Like, uh, I'm not going to push myself. I'm going to be, I, maybe we could tie it back to like that place of Egypt of being our, 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 our place of habit and our comfort zone. And, and do we step out of it? And are we able to get out of that place and, and go into a place? Hashem is demanding something bigger and more from us. And can we step into that place? And that's really um, something to think about from the beginning of the plagues. We're going to talk about the plagues a little bit more. Uh, next week because we have three more over there. But I want to finish with two things. First of all, this week is Shabbos Mavarchim. Are you serious? It comes so often. I know. It feels like it comes as often as Shabbos. What is that? Okay, I'll say Shabbos Mavarchim is the week that we, in Shabbos, that in Shul, we bless the new month. It's custom to have a spring Custom to have a spring bring It's not Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh is actually going to be on Monday. Um, I'm, I'm in touch with Rika if we're going to do Halal. I don't know. She didn't get back to me yet. Um, so this week is Shabbos Mavarchim. What is sort of on a spiritual level? What does it mean, Shabbos Mavarchim? It means that in our month of Teves, which is not a super happy month, um, we have this spark of Shvat. Okay, the next month coming up is Shvat. Right? We're starting to... to Tubishvat, the new year for the trees, and we're at this place of even though it seems so dead and cold outside, it's really the, the roots of spring are really there. So in this place, even in Teves, in this place where it seems so cold and dark and not inspiring, we're starting to we're we're in this space, we're able to bless the new moon, the new mo- the new month of Shvat, which is the place of spring and flowering and all that stuff that's happening. So I want to give us a bracha that whether it's now or whenever we're in a place that just feels Tavis-ish. It feels like uninspired. I want to stay under the blankets with whatever. We stay under the blankets, you know. <laughs> cookies and Ben and Jerry's, right? Um, uh, that we should understand that we have the ability to bless Shvat. We have the ability to bless the month of growth and, and the beginning of the trees waking up and things starting to blossom and to bloom. And so it should be true for us in our lives also to be able to have that place of shaking it up, of things coming alive, of things starting to move. And even in this place to be able to reach and say, it might look gloomy a little bit, but we're going to, we're going to reach for this pay, We're going to reach for this place of shot of, of, of flowering. And I want to give us a bracha that we, are honest about something that's Mitzrayim for us personally, and from a place of growth and flowering, we reach forward to be able to, to change that, to take the first tangible steps to saying, this does not rule me. I'm in charge over here. Have an awesome rest of the day.